Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Indie Football Podcast. I'm your host, Vidushin Hantaraja, and I'm joined today by our chief football writer of The Independent, Miguel Delaney, senior football correspondent, Melissa Reddy, and northern football correspondent, Mark Critchley. Hello to everyone, and well, we've got a bumper show for you today. I think it's probably best to start with the Premier League and work our way down to what was an obscene evening in the Championship. Uh, But first, Liverpool finally got their hands on the Premier League trophy as league winners. It was confirmed a few weeks ago that this moment was going to take place, but they've finally got their mitts on it. Celebrations began in earnest with a 5-3 win over Chelsea and reached a crescendo on a platform built in the cop itself, where Sir Kenny Dalglish finally handed over the trophy to Liverpool. Mel, you were at Anfield uh, from start to a very, very late finish. Um, just tell us, yeah, what was it like? I think when the final whistle went, there was an emotion I've not really seen uh, between the players and the staff. It felt like a relief, a sense of, Finally, a sense of this is it now, all the work that we've poured into it. Um, Here's our reward. It didn't really feel like that in Madrid. There was more excitement rather than this weight of expectation being removed. Um, And as soon as the lights went off at Anfield and there were these red beams everywhere, fire framing uh, the stand, fireworks at the ready, And when Jordan Henderson was called up onto the stage, everything built up so nicely that you actually forgot for a few minutes that this was in the midst of a global pandemic with no fans in the stadium, that it wasn't the way, you know, you'd always pictured it or or scripted it. But still, it felt at the time to be just perfect. Um, and I, I think when you wait that long, when it's 30 years, it doesn't really matter how it happens or what song's playing in the background. It just matters that it happens and Liverpool got over the line and you could tell how much it, it really meant to all of them. I kind of exclusively followed the, um, you know, the trophy lift and all the celebrations around it via Jeannie Wildham's Instagram Live, which was pretty lively, to be honest. Um, but what were the scenes like around the ground itself? You know, there were loads of pretty spectacular photos from a month ago and even last night with red flares and all that. And fans, you know, I think on the, on the way in, fans were applauding the, the team bus. What was the, the city vibe last night? I had got to Anfield just before the bus arrived. So I caught that. Obviously, Liverpool didn't want fans congregating at all. So it was quite disappointing to see them around the stadium pre-match. But uh, when I was leaving the stadium, they were still all there. Fireworks, pyro, lots of drink, uh, lots of kids as well. And I just, 
I know it's so difficult. You know, most people have waited their entire lives for that moment and want to feel close to it and to feel a part of it. But the man that's delivered it finally has implored you to stay home, to watch it all at home. Like all the people that were at Anfield missed the trophy lift. They missed seeing it happen. They missed seeing how much it meant to the players, how much it meant to the manager. Um, So, yeah, you know, while it might make for a nice picture and stuff, it's still a bit jarring that there was just a, a disregard for the rules. I mean, one of the things the Premier League and all the clubs are working so hard towards is trying to get fans back into the stadiums as early as possible next season. And stuff like this just throws that off. It it makes it that much harder to accomplish. Yeah, well said. Migs, um, just to bring you in here, when when Liverpool going to claim the title, um, watching the game in that uh, hotel foyer or where, wherever it was all those weeks ago, we we wondered on this show if they were set for a potential points record. And we kind of spoke about, it, it wasn't just about winning the trophy, it was about setting a marker as, as one of the best Premier League teams, if not the best in terms of the style of play and, and having that points tally to back it up. Obviously, that won't be the case now, but does that change anything from our conversation those weeks ago? Do you see... Do you think any, would you, or or should we think any less of this Liverpool team if they only finish only, quote unquote, with 99 points? Um, A little, actually. <laughs> um, I mean, I should obviously preface all this with the fact we're speaking within the parameters of greatness. Like, so there's no acceptance of all these sides, be it, you know, to Arsenal Invincibles, to Chelsea 05, whatever. They've all they've all achieved something magnificent. But we we are allowed to have kind of, minor caveats and then and kind of fun debates about what separates those sides and this is the thing about this Liverpool because I think I mean w- when they won the title when it was mathematically confirmed they had by far the highest points per game record in history at 2.65 um, and I think that probably was a recognition of the fact that uh, at the time of winning the title and while they were in pursuit of winning it uh, they were probably the best team we've seen and I think it does <laughs> You know, again, in a kind of a grand or in in a broader sense, when we're talking, when when we come to these conversations, I think it, it it is a minor shame that they didn't actually get the record to to recognize that. I mean, because you know, when when we're when we're looking back in this or when we're talking about this team, basically they have, they have no um, landmark achievement to recognize how special this title win was. I mean, because because obviously. The 30-year wait for the title is something different to that. So for, by the same token, when we're talking about great Manchester United teams, the 92-93 team, which ended 26-year wait, that's never really put up there with the best United sides because even 93-94, one year on, was seen as so much better. Um, so so uh, when, when you're talking about this, like even with City, uh, like they were absolutely magnificent in 2017-18, and the Centurions is this kind of identifiable feat that really elevates this team, something we can point to. With this... You, um, with Liverpool, like I mean, <laughs> earliest team to win a title or highest points per game record at the point of winning it doesn't really roll off the tongue in that way. It's it's not a it's not a simple and and I, I but even beyond that, even beyond the kind of simple uh, historic recognition, I, I, I think maybe it's it's not something they they'd admit certainly not in moments like last night. But I would say there's a few there's a few within that squad that regret the fact they didn't get. No, again, just a minor regret. Obviously, winning the title is so much bigger. But just a minor regret that they, they, they didn't get the records they should. Because really, this team was good enough 
to break the points record. And I think they should have done it. Well, Critch, um, it'd be good to throw throw to you for this one then. Um, do you, Man City with a mass when they amassed 100 points in 2017-18, would they? Or, or, you know, would they regard that as as something that kind of puts the puts the cherry on top, and that they can embrace as, as something that defines that team? Do you see that? Do you, do you in sorry similarly in that way? Do you feel like Liverpool have missed out on something here? I think that if Manchester City didn't particularly care about the hundred points before them, they certainly do now that Liverpool haven't achieved it. I think I think you could see that from the from the reaction to that defeat at, um, at Arsenal last week. You know there was. I think there was a lot of a lot of memes and, and such on social media. You know, it, it's not for everyone. I think was what a lot of City fans were saying. Um, but then again, I, I do think that they actually cared a lot about it at the time as well. I remember, again, it was similar to Liverpool in the sense that they they sealed that title so early on that um, the last the last few like the last six weeks or so of the season were a bit of an anticlimax. And I remember going to Pep Guardiola press conferences and there was even less to talk about than usual because not only were they just winning games at a canter as usual, but they were also, you know, there, there was nothing on the line, if you like. Um, but then I think over the weeks that came, you, you started to feel that, you know, they sensed that there was a, a historic achievement there. And um, I think in the reaction to Gabriel Jesus's goal in the, in the final minutes at Southampton on the final day, which actually secured those points, you could tell then that, you know, this 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 meant something and it was something quite important. So I, I do think I, I do think that it's you know, you're always looking to break new ground and prove that you are a historic team. And I think Liverpool, again, like Miguel say, simply for the fact that they won the first, the club's first title in 30 years and this was such a hang up for the whole for the whole club and, and for the red part of the city as well that goes down as a historic achievement for them. But you do always want to try and almost break new ground. And some people might say that 100 points is something that could only really be achieved in this era of football with this level of dominance among the top clubs. You know, it was never really something that was a realistic aim or back in the 70s and 80s, for example, when Liverpool were at their the previous peak, if you like. But no, I, I do think there'll be a... a, a a little bit of disappointment, but I, you know, I still think they're going to be sleep, be able to sleep easy at night, um, knowing that they're English, current English champions, European champions, and world champions as well. Just, just on that, Chris. I mean, I think that's the thing. I mean, they won't want to, or and it kind of summed up by City as well. They obviously won't want to talk about it, and they haven't done it. But if they'd done it, then just like City, we'd have all manner of branding about second centurions, record breakers. Uh, it would be, it would become a very important thing if they'd actually done it. Basically, what is what's better, centurions or mentality monsters? Centurions, mentality monsters is one of the worst phrases ever. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it's not only yeah, yeah, and it's oh, exactly nah. the kind of thing that could be, yeah, and it's exactly the kind of thing that can be thrown back in their faces. But it's easy to shoot at people at the top, so we'll move on. Um, obviously, yesterday's results as well were pretending to Champions League places. Uh, Critch, you were. At um, Old Trafford for Manchester United drawing one-one with West Ham, uh, and with Chelsea on the receiving end of that defeat to Liverpool, it means that Manchester United are now third, level on points with Chelsea, who are in fourth because of a goal difference of thirteen, which is inferior to United's of twenty-eight. Leicester are a point behind in fifth, have with a goal difference of twenty-eight, mimicking or matching rather um, United's. So, 
I suppose to talk about the game first yesterday. Critch, what did you make of um, of United's performance against the West Ham side who are were comfortably safe and able to be a bit more freewheeling? But um, it's not been a great week for United. No, I don't think so. I I, I think it was a laboured performance, and that was in keeping with United's last few games. Certainly, you'd say since the Southampton, the, the late draw against Southampton last Monday, and you'd say it's in keeping with the top four race in general, which for the second year running really has been just kind of more of just like a. I don't know, a power walk or a, just a leisurely stroll through the through the, through the park or whatever metaphor you want to try and reach for. Um, I guess that, you know, I think what struck me about United last last night was that it was a return to the bad old days, if you like, in that the, they, they just look pedestrian again and very one-dimensional. And you, you come back to the sense that if Bruno Fernandes, who's been this whole catalyst for this resurgence in form, if he's not playing particularly well as he didn't last night, if Paul Pogba's playing the way that he has for the last couple of weeks, really, since during the restart, um, that they just don't really have that extra edge that gets them past teams who are ultimately well-organised and defend deep and the discipline like you'd expect a David Moyes side to be. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think it, weirdly one one player they're really missing at the minute is Luke Shaw, who went off injured in that, injured in that uh, Southampton game last week. And he... I think I looked last night, the, the only left-footed player in the team is Nemanja Matic, if you don't count Greenwood, who seems to be kind of ambidextrous or whatever. And they just miss Shaw's kind of ability to go, you know, just to give him that bit of width. You know, Williams is right-footed, he likes to come inside. They didn't have that kind of unpredictability in the attack that you might expect otherwise. But I guess the upshot is, ultimately, you know, they're in the top four for the first time since September. There's one game to go, they need one point. Um, a draw last night, as, as Solskjaer pointed out afterwards, a draw really wasn't that different from a 1-0 or a 2-0 win because the fact that they played Leicester on the final day and that they were level on them with points and on goal difference before last night means that any kind of narrow win could have just been wiped out on Sunday in the same way that a draw could be. So, you know, maybe that was on their mind a little bit, but you looked at them at full time and the way just the reactions to the final whistle, you could tell that they were disappointed that they hadn't racked up a win of about three or four, you know, five even that, that would really have put the onus on Leicester to win big themselves on Sunday. So, you know, it all comes down to this final game. And I, I suppose to use the cliche, then, you know, if you'd said back in January to Ali Solskjaer, you've got one game against Leicester on the final day of the season and you only need to not lose and you'll be in the Champions League, he would have taken it. But um, it is it is a bit of a limp over the line, if you like, for United and from the other teams in the top four race. Migs, you tweeted yesterday wondering if the upturn in form at the start of Project Restart was more down to fitness than any kind of tactical acumen. Um, I suppose the performances in last week and, and last night tend to agree with you. Um, do you want to kind of extrapolate that theory in terms of, I suppose... You know, a lot of people talking that Solskjaer has finally been given the right amount of time to imprint himself, but um, you reckon it might just be down to a few extra hill sprints? Well, first, I mean, my major issue with Solskjaer ultimately is that I, ultimately I don't think he's that good a manager. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I think, I mean, if you compare the way what United tried to do compared to Klopp, Pep, even Pochettino Spurs, I think there's no great discernible plan there, no kind of uh, highly defined tactical idea, uh, uh, but I know in kind of internal meetings in the club, Solskjaer has spoken about how he needs his players super fit because he wants that intensity, and so if, and I think that's part. These are partly reasons why United are such a streaky team. 
Um, I mean, obviously, they're a super wealthy team, which means the base level of their squad is really high. And I think that's summed up, by the way, by the, the, the amazing kind of difference in form from when they went from a fairly barren midfield, then suddenly they can buy a 70 million midfielder in Fernandez and put in a, a record-breaking midfielder uh, in Paul Pogba in terms of price. And then they kind of impose this attacking game because when you have like two ball players like Fernandez and Pogba in your team, a little bit like Modric and Cruz at Madrid, they just they, they mean a team will naturally start playing and they have to be creative. And that's obviously augmented when a team is fit enough to to run and be intense and harry. But then I think when when form drops and when fitness drops or when intensity drops, as is inevitably going to be the case when you've had a match every day or every four days for the last five weeks and largely used the same core 11 or core squad, um, that it's just not going to be sustained. And, and, and the problem then becomes that United don't, it doesn't feel like they have a distinct pattern of play to fall back on. And I think that comes out then in games like last night or indeed against Chelsea in the FA Cup, where they just look ponderous and slow. They're not creating much. And, it, and it, it's a world of a difference from even three weeks ago when they're hammering Bournemouth 5-2. Yeah, so if we look at Sunday's fixtures, uh, as mentioned, Leicester City host Manchester United on Sunday uh, at the same time while Chelsea host Wolves at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Man United can qualify with a win or a draw. Leicester City can qualify with a draw if Chelsea lose. Chelsea qualify with a win and Chelsea can also get through if they draw to claim fourth and if Leicester v United is a draw or Manchester United lose. Now, Mel, you saw a bit of Chelsea yesterday. You've seen Leicester as well. Where is, um, well, firstly, kind of how, how do you see this panning out come, um, well, what would be 6 p.m. on Sunday? It's so hard to predict because it seems like they're all stumbling in, in different elements. Chelsea have massive problems with game management. Um, and I think they struggle to find a balance between wanting to be this really exciting, energetic team to one that can actually control any period of play. Um, We even saw at Anfield last night that in terms of an attacking sense in um, breaking, they've got superbly talented players. I mean, Christian Pulisic last night, his composure and and the way he was able to, to change the game so quickly bodes well for them but looking at at the wider picture defensively they're all over the place um Kepa there are huge question marks continuous question marks against him and it just beggars belief that Chelsea's focus in the market is still to strengthen their offensive might which they already have such a lot of um so even in terms of, of the current situation, the top four race, but looking further on as to how they improve at, as a team, I think <laughs> they need to think um, really deeply about it because I don't see them being a threat. I see them being very good on their day, but I don't see any consistency there. In terms of Manchester United, I agree completely with, with Miguel. Um, there's still a tendency for them to rely on individual brilliance rather than any coordinated and and cohesive sort of play. Bruno Fernandes has been so transformative. Everything that's happened 
since he signed has largely been on him, you know, the willingness to take responsibility, to be the reference point for United and uplift all his teammates, really, because they have somebody in the dressing room that they know that they can look to to make things happen, who wants to make things happen. And like I said, who really wants to shoulder um, the weight of, of responsibility at the club. But there's only so much of that that you can do, um, especially when tiredness kicks in. Um, and and even though they've been getting results in recent weeks, I, I was at the, the Bournemouth game at Old Trafford and Bournemouth were able to cut them open so easily you know, hit the woodwork, had two goals disallowed. This was a Bournemouth team at the time that were finding it incredibly difficult to create anything. And yet they were putting United under lots of pressure. Obviously, David De Gea is an issue. Harry Maguire, you know, the world's most expensive centre-back, still so, so laboured and so indecisive in key moments, um, which is a concern. Leicester really have not been the same team since Boxing Day or maybe even just before Boxing Day. And I think we've seen every so often glimpses of them turning it up again, but more often than not, we've seen them in a gradual decline or or possibly, to be fairer to them, just reverting to, to the norm because they were outperforming all their numbers, you know, their expected goals and such. Um, and... You know, I think they would have been happy with top six at the start of the season, but it feels such an anticlimax for them now. Just to go on a little bit of a tangent, because you mentioned Kepa there, and we talked about David De Gea earlier in the show. Um, Migs, I'm going to tap into your Spanish side for this question. Um, is there a concern that two highly rated goalkeepers seem to be in this downward spiral? Bring back Iker. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, kind of uh, well. I feel a certain sympathy with Kepa more so. I think uh, I think he does have flaws in his game, but he does have talents that aren't really coming out at the moment because I think he's just he's as I would say in Spain in a bad moment. Uh, I think his confidence has been affected. He's not saving shots that he would usually do um, because it, I mean, while there was some debate within Chelsea, I understand when they signed them, it's not like he can't like he, he had a good reputation in Spain. Uh, although I think his command of a box is is an issue. Um, as regards to Gaia, um, and from the Spanish side, I, I think it's long been clear that he's actually he can't really play in the goalkeeping role that the Spanish national team, which which would idealise, which is obviously a goalkeeper as something a sweeper. And I know, I know some former Manchester United goalkeepers, some quite prominent, have always had reservations about De Gea in that regard. That they they don't think he they don't think he's as proactive as he should be as a goalkeeper in in contrast to say Schmeichel. I do I think the, the other side of that is is that that drop in form from that World Cup because which I think when when the Gaia's confidence was affected by the fact he was in a role that he wasn't totally comfortable in as a goalkeeper. I think it started to erode his his confidence more errors started to come into his game. And it feels like we've got a knock-on from there. And an ally to that, you've got this kind of odd situation at Manchester United where he was given the contract at a time where he suddenly wasn't that much in demand. And he doesn't have a second-choice goalkeeper breathing down his neck. And that might be different if Henderson was recalled from Sheffield United. But as of the moment, they've got two subkeepers who are very happy to be subkeepers. Um, so it just, it just feels he's in a kind of a, 
I mean, it's, 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 it's a stagnation in his career that is now giving way to a decline, and we don't know if that decline is temporary. Mel, just to go back to you for a comment on Leicester City, um, they're as high as second at the start of the year and are now, you know, currently occupying fifth, um, still with a chance to get into the Champions League. But given that drop-off and given what reservations there have been in the past with regards to Brendan Rodgers and someone who isn't able to... or you know, the perception is that he finds it difficult to kind of maintain that kind of momentum throughout a season. If Leicester do end up finishing fifth, do you think they should regard this as a success or a failure of a season considering, you know, where they were, say, last year? It's difficult to assess because I think if the season happened in reverse fashion, if they, you know, the the first half of the season was the second half of the season and vice versa and the way they've played, you have a, a positivity. Managers always talk about the the last thing being the thing that sticks with you most. You could have had, you know, 50 positive moments, but if the 51st moment was a negative one, that's the one that carries with you. And I think that's the issue Leicester will have for all the the promise they've shown um, for, for the way they, they blitzed at the start of the campaign. It will be this, you know, stumble... Um, when they've got so close to the finish line, that will really be the the defining element of their season. There's so much talent at Leicester. There's so much work with the the structures are really good behind the scenes in terms of recruitment um, and and just their wider picture of of how they want to do things. So I don't think they'll have a problem being you know in the mix. Just how much can we expect from them, though? Because they are a club where any good talent they get will be picked off. So they have to, you know, continuously be on the lookout for for fresh faces. Brendan Rodgers is a very good manager. And actually, if anything, I've seen him grow a lot from his time um, at Liverpool, at Leicester. I think he at Liverpool, he was a very good tactician um, you know, formation systems, the work on the training pitch, but he struggled with the man management element and the receding of an ego and just buying into different factors of the club and and letting other people take charge of their departments. I've seen a growth in in that regard, but I, I don't want to be unfair on Leicester and, you know, think that they should be bettering Manchester United and and Chelsea. I think we expect that because of how they started the season. But in terms of the natural order, I think things are just restoring and it's really hard for them to keep up that sort of momentum across the season. You know, Jamie Vardy, we know he's he's a really good player still and his numbers are fantastic, but he is aging. You can't get away from that. So... It's about how they they try and get longevity in in a sense of where they're a club that, that can't really have it because they'll always be developing. They'll always have players taken away. Um, in, in terms of the club itself, I think they'll view it as a success, but externally, I think we'll be very harsh on them. Right, well, that seems the perfect time for a break. Join us afterwards. We'll be talking about the relegation battle at the bottom of the Premier League and a ridiculous night of championship action later on. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. Now, it's not only the Champions League spots that need to be sorted, but three teams need to go into two for the relegation battle. Aston Villa, Watford and Bournemouth going into the final round. No, it will be one of them too. Uh, the current scene is Villa just outside the relegation zone on 34 points with a neg- negative 26 goal difference. Watford on 34 points with negative 27 goal difference. And Bournemouth three points behind both 31 but negative 27 goal difference as well. Um, before I run you through the fixtures, uh, Watford obviously took the decision to sack Nigel Pearson and run there. I think it's officially their fourth management group, but the fifth time they've had to swap um, people in the dugout with Graham Stack and Hayden Mullins in temporary charge as they were at some point earlier this season as well. Um, Migs, uh, <laughs> I suppose, what is going on there? They're currently, Watford are going to play Arsenal, who lost to Villa um, and saw them to Watford even drop into the relegation zone. But yeah, kind of Vicarage Road is um, sort of a safe place for managers this season. They've become the story of the last week, really. And I think what happens with Watford could be the, uh, the biggest story of this Sunday as well. I mean, and if you look at what at Wednesday night, it was a Tuesday night, Tuesday night, where in the space of five hours, they went from definitely safe to, oh my God, they're absolutely doomed. Um, <laughs> it's incredible, like, uh, just, just how it's turned like that. Um, and I, I suppose... There seems to be a fair bit of uh, schadenfreude about this as well, uh, especially related to the kind of wild card way that Watford approach management. Now, their rationale, they would say, well, why do everything the way every other club does? If, thing is, if something is failing with the manager, then we'll just make changes. And from what you hear, there were justifiable reasons why they might have got rid of Pearson by the end, even though he'd had his effect. Now, the, the Watford rationale would be, well, he's had his effect. That's gone. We we have to take a, a brutal business decision here. And obviously, most people, or a lot of people in football, would have um, reservations about that. But I mean, on one side is it's worked up to now. The other side is that well, when when you're going to take that approach, it's inevitable. There's always because it's so volatile. There's inevitably going to be some a potential fall off, which they could well suffer this season. And it is hard to put your finger on and you could even argue that the issue isn't so much the managers the issue is maybe recruitments I mean Watford have gone for a spell I think for about two three seasons in the Premier League there they um they had what you would consider an upwardly mobile squad 
and players will be signed. And, he, and he, even those that had attracted previous interest for, like Decore, you don't see that now. In fact, if, if they went down, who's maybe the only player that you would want somewhere else? Is it Sar? Is he the only one that's really impressed in the last few weeks? Um, so it feels like that's been an issue. And then, of course, there's all the bigger questions about the identity of the first team and how Troy Deeney, who I suppose has become a bit of a flashpoint of his own in that way, um, but how he's one of the few players that represents maybe some sort of core identity in the club. And it, so it does feel like there's a lot swirling around at Watford that does relate about how you run a Premier League team. And so the, the, other, the other side of all this, and this is kind of this is something related to Bournemouth maybe as just as much, and because I did a piece on this a few a few um, a few weeks ago on this specific subject. But the average spell any club has in the Premier League is four seasons. Uh, because just the very nature of the division means that basically there's obviously the kind of that core of fixed teams, which are obviously the super clubs and a few like Everton. Um, and everyone else basically goes back up and at some point will go back down just because of the, the pure finance of it. And I suppose it's how you try and weather that. Um, and maybe Watford are in a similar situation to Bournemouth in that way. And that's just, they, they, they like everyone else, they haven't found a solution to uh, to long term stability in this league, and it will always get you in some way. Well, yeah. So, just uh, before we move on to Watford, uh, sorry, to Bournemouth, um, Watford can stay up if they win more, so win by more than Villa if they beat West Ham, and they can draw and still stay up if Villa lose. Uh, Mel, just to kind of cover off the talk on Bournemouth, who play Everton and, and need a win, and both teams above them to lose. Uh, Kind of Eddie, how this feels like a really sad end. Is sad the right word to to the Bournemouth story and Eddie Howe? Because I, I can't imagine that even if they do somehow manage to stay up, that the two will be um, together this time next season, or rather the start of next season. I think probably what would pain him the most is that the reaction has come so late, because this is what we sort of expect from Bournemouth the last few weeks that even. You know, in games that they've lost, like against Manchester United or Manchester City, that there was such a fight put up. There was resistance. They were offensively quite strong. Um, they created enough to to get something out of those games, but they've just left it so late. And obviously, there've been injury issues. Um, there have been problems with you know, the senior professionals that have set the tone for so long, underperforming. Obviously, the message has become stale. There's a sense of comfort that's creeped in. And I think when you're a club with the limited resources and and the size of Bournemouth, where every season that you stay in the Premier League is a miracle, and they've been here for five years now, that if at any point you lose 10% even of what makes you who you are, you're in danger. And and that's basically what they found. Um, you know, it's they're hitting and hoping for an absolute miracle on the final day, which I, I don't see coming. Um, and yeah, I suppose you could say it's it's sad the way it's filtered out, but I also think it's it's a realistic end to the story because I mean, it's Bournemouth. Again, I think we judge teams by what they've done and not the reality of the situation, expecting them to survive every single season in the Premier League is just, I think, fantasy. Critch, um, 
just to, yeah, to talk to you about Aston Villa. They win and I kind of hope Watford don't beat Arsenal by more than their margin. They'll be fine. Um, they're obviously playing West Ham, um, who you saw last night. Uh, just off the back of the, that win over Arsenal, which seemed to be a real gut buster of a, of a performance, can you see them kind of, judging by what you saw yesterday of, of their opponents, can you see them kind of emerging with a, with a victory that keeps them up? I mean, they're certainly they're in the driving seat, aren't they? And I suppose you'd look at those final fixtures across all three teams and you'd say theirs is probably the best. I mean, all three are away from home. But with Watford having to go to Arsenal and Bournemouth having to go to Everton, you'd think you know, a, a trip to a, a fellow relegation candidate until until last night um, would be the easiest on paper. Certainly, you know, West Ham don't have anything to play for. Um, they didn't have much to play for last night, but they, they did mathematically confirm themselves last night. So, yeah, I think, look, they've taken, Villa have taken seven points from nine. Um, I've been genuinely quite impressed with them since the restart. I think before then, you were looking at a team that, especially on the defensive side, I think they were the worst defence in the league then. I'm not sure if that's still the case, but certainly on the kind of underlying metrics and expected numbers and all that stuff, they've improved hugely since the restart. I think um, Esri Konza at the back has been particularly impressive. He's a, he's a highly rated player when he was at Charlton, got his move to Villa, I think it was last summer, I think, or I think I'm right in saying that. He's he's slotted in since the restart and has looked has looked really good. You know, Trezeguet, he got two goals against Palace and then the the winner against Arsenal the other night. Douglas Louise is playing well in midfield and he was a player actually who you know Pep Guardiola thought at the beginning of last season, um, summer of 2018, he thought that he could be a part of City's first team squad and was working quite hard to get him a work permit that would allow him to be um, and ultimately failed in that and was quite frustrated with with that in the end. And you know, I don't think you can. I don't think you can rule out in Villa's case the just the psychological lift of taking yourselves out of that relegation zone, having been in it for so long with one game to go. And you know, I, I know, I know the level on points with Watford, and it's only the one. The goal difference is like one goal, but you know, three points is such. It's so big at that end of the table because you can not rely, but you can expect on others to drop because generally, you you know, that's just how it works. They're worse teams when you get that win. It just, you know, it just spurs you on, and I think they're going to take a lot from the fact that it's in their hands now. And I, I would favour them, I'd say, simply because things seem to have just landed in their favour. And yeah, I, I think, I think they're going to get it over the line. Right. So, what do we think as a group? Then I'm just going to throw this out there, and you can chill out with your answer if you think otherwise. But Aston Villa to stay up, then? Yeah. As I just said, Mel, <laughs> <laughs> Mel you're you're picking Villa. Yeah, I think Villa are going to do it. That's sorted then. So, um, unlucky Watford and Bournemouth. Right, now over to the Championship where Wednesday night saw one of the most jaw-dropping evenings in sport, let alone football. Uh, In the final round of fixtures ahead of the playoffs, five different teams occupied the relegation zone and the promotion spots changed hands as well. In the end, West Brom... West Bromwich Albion, pardon me, will join Leeds United for automatic promotion to the Premier League. They did that with a 2-2 win, sorry, 2-2 win, 2-2 draw (laughs) against Queen's Park Rangers. Brentford, therefore, narrowly missing out on second by losing 2-1 to Barnsley, a result which meant Barnsley stayed up by a single point. A 1-1 draw with Fulham meant Wigan Athletic dropped from 13th to 23rd as their 12-point deduction came into play. Had they won, they would have only fallen to 49 points and thus survived on goal difference with Barnsley 
dropping into the bottom three. Now, Migs, you are all over this in the WhatsApp group. Talk us through the emotions of last night. Um, <laughs> emotions, well, from my perspective, was basically just um, shock or and this kind of just constant uh, surprise and excitement that how quickly the situation was changing, how intensely it was changing, and just how much was going on in that last 10 minutes of football. It was remarkable. Um, and I, I think over the last 10 minutes, the situation at both ends, both, well, actually, three in three separate areas, in automatic promotion through second place, in uh, qualifying for the playoffs, and then obviously relegation, I think they, they all changed at least twice in the last 10 minutes. Um, or already or, or we're in a situation where one goal could have changed everything. And in each of those situations, there was at least two moments where, you know, some player had a chance or there was some miss that, um, that we, on which everything rested. And it was some of those remarkable tele- I think the best sport I've seen this year, to be honest. Well, the um, you know I, I haven't even mentioned Nottingham Forest there, who needed to avoid a full goal swing to claim that last promotion spot, and in the end lost four one to Stoke City at home, and were subsequently overhauled by Swansea City, who beat ten man Reading four um, one. Yeah, absolutely absurd. Uh, but Critch, you were kind of on your way back from Old Trafford at the time. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what, what did you what did you make of it, and did you manage to get back in time? Um, yeah, I had like ten minutes in the Uber, and I've realised I've, I've only just got Sky Go on my phone, so I watched Sky Sports News on that. But I, yeah, I, I don't know. Like last night was certainly, you know, entertainment value was brilliant. But yeah, I, I don't think we can escape the fact that one of the huge stories was Wigan, and for as entertaining as the championship is, and as brilliant and as you know, because of its parity, if anything, because anything can happen because all the teams are basically working at the same level. It did leave a bit of a sour taste that part of that entertainment was the fact that Wigan themselves and so many other clubs in the division are just so poorly financially mismanaged, if we if we can call it that, that that, that almost adds to the unpredictability and the intrigue. And, you know, just, just to go over Wigan's situation, if you if we want to cover that now, I mean... They were relegated last night, obviously, after the 1-1 draw with Fulham um, because immediately after that, the 12-point deduction for entering administration came in. Um, that is despite the fact that they've they only lost one of the last 15 games. It's despite the fact that they beat Hull 8-0 a few weeks ago, or uh, just last week, I think it was, as, as people will uh, remember from the many trending topics and such. And it's despite the fact that until this, this week, the first team squad had only been paid 20% of their wages for June. And, you know, it's, it's just, it, it, it is an absurd and a, frankly quite a shameful situation. Now, there is, there is an asterisk on all this, as there seems to be with everything uh, this season, that the 12-point penalty might not apply because they are appealing it. But, you know, with the, the administrators held a press conference yesterday that was in on. And the fact of the matter is that even if we can win that appeal, they will still have to cover the costs of, of basically lodging it, which is estimated to be at least 400 grand. That appeal is only going to be heard on the 31st of July. It's only going to be heard then. So that's not necessarily when we get the decision. We don't know when we're going to get a decision. And in the meantime, we're going to be in conversation trying to sell players in order to generate funds. And some of these players have effectively release clauses in the contract. This is the belief. They have release clauses in the contract 
where they say you pay this much if they're a championship player, but you only pay this much if they're a League One player. So all of this only adds to the the uncertainty that surrounds the club at the minute. And you know, we should say there is a bit of positive news. The fact, the reason why there was that press conference yesterday is because the administrators have found a buyer. And a few weeks ago, we were talking about you know only a seventy five percent chance of them getting to this point and finishing the season. So you know, it, it seems strange to say, but it could have been worse. But like I said, everything about their situation and everything about the entertainment and the intrigue of last night comes with this sour taste. You know, we were talking about. I, th- I think as we covered when we discussed them on the pod a few weeks ago, we were talking about after coronavirus how we were going to reset football. And I, I appreciate it's only been a couple of months since we restarted, but now more than ever we need to be having these conversations about what level of financial fair play in those divisions would prevent this kind of situation from happening. What do we need to do with the directors and owners test? And you know, we did a, we did a small kind of investigation last week. I think one of the misconceptions about the directors and owners test of fit and proper persons is that the EFL can just change it and just make it a lot stricter. The fact of the matter is that in order for that change to happen, a majority of the clubs in the EFL and a majority of the clubs in the championship as well need to support any change. So we went and we asked all of Wigan's fellow EFL clubs whether they would support a change and we got five responses. And we only got one who gave an answer that was largely in the affirmative. And I think that the problem is that there isn't this, you know, everyone's quite happy to go along with the show at the minute and this insane situation where clubs are spending 200%, some of them are of wage to turnover ratio every season in order to try and make it into the Premier League. And it creates this fantastic spectacle, but there's not that same kind of willingness to safeguard clubs and prevent situations like Wigan from happening. And there will be more, there will be more inevitably because of the pandemic and because of the crisis. And, you know, like I say, that was just the kind of, uh, yeah, the sour taste that that was that you were left with at the end of what was still a fascinating and very entertaining evens entertainment of, uh, of football. So how is that going to work then with the with the hearing happening so late? Is it just now assumed that regardless of, of whether they get it overturned and regardless of everything from now on goes their way, that Wigan Athletic will start next season as a League One club? Well, I mean, look, if they get it overturned, then it doesn't apply. And like you said before, they finish with 59 points. They're in mid-table and they're safe. Um, so, no, they'd, be, they'd definitely be a championship club in that place. In that case, sorry. But... Um, I, I guess the problem is that, like I said, we're just operating in this kind of no man's land at the minute where, and you could sense the frustration talking to the administrators yesterday at the press conference. They were, they don't know where they stand at the minute. Players don't know where they stand. Staff don't know where they stand. There is just, <laughs> there's a there's a lack of leadership, you'd say, from the EFL on this. But again, their hands are tied for what we've just discussed there in that a lot of these regulation changes that they need to bring through need to be agreed by everybody. And people are simply unwilling to, on the case of the directors and owners test, to come back to that, they're simply unwilling to make it stricter because that would make it more difficult to sell their football club. And you don't want to you know, close off your only escape route out of this madcap division where your money's going hand over fist in search of this Premier League dream. And you know, you almost question yourself, why did I buy this club in the first place? You, A lot of owners are looking to sell and would like to get rid of it. So, like I said, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a crazy situation. And like I say, it remains to be seen how we can get out of it. I would be, 
I, I am slightly pessimistic about the chances of overturning the 12-point administration because even though their circumstances are, you would say, slightly different from other clubs that have gone into administration in the past, this was a financially viable club. Um, this was a club that wasn't on the precipice of, you know, going being liquidated or anything like that until the guy who bought it the next day, practically the next day, and with it was the announcement was made within the same month, said he's going to sell it. So, you know, the, the situation is kind of unprecedented at Wigan, but ultimately I don't think that's going to make too much of a difference. The 12-point deduction is probably, I feel, sadly going to stand. That's obviously not any information, that's just speculation, but I, I, it's hard to see how they overturn it. And then, you know, Wigan are a League One club and it's, it's an incredibly, and a less viable prospect for prospective owners. They're going to make less money next season. It's going to be harder to restore them to the the place that you would say they were rightfully in before all this happened. And it's just a very sad and quite tragic situation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If um, Before that takes place on the 31st of July, we'll have a bit more championship football to sink our teeth into as well. It's um, this weekend when the playoff officially begins. Uh, Sunday, the 26th of July, see Swansea against Brentford and then Cardiff City against Fulham on the Monday. And those return legs, with Brentford, at, uh, Brentford at home to Swansea and Fulham at home to Cardiff will be played over Wednesday and Thursday as well. Uh, that's all we've got time for this week, I'm afraid. Thanks again to Miguel, Melissa and Mark for joining me and thanks to you for listening at home as well. If you're a new listener, please subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to leave us a rating as well so that it helps other people find us. Be sure to follow Indie Sport and Indie Football on social media to keep up to date with everything that's going on and we'll see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.